So good. Thank you, guys. It's been a big two weeks for us as a house. If you were here last week, we prayed over our, our core team and establishing a leadership structure in 24-7 and just communicating what that is. Um, it's been really, really a, a building season for us as a house. God's doing so much. And then today, getting to celebrate our students and commission them is such a joy. So thank you. If you're visiting, um, we really love the Word. We love preaching and teaching the Word. And um, I know I only have about 20 minutes. But um, I'm so grateful for what God's doing in this house. Thank you to every single one of you just for your obedience to the Lord um, and for what He's unlocking and opening. And um, I've been trying to get to preach on um, finances for the last couple of weeks. It'll be my first time preaching on it. Um, And uh, I have the title, everything, Supernatural Finances, really great, but 20 minutes is not going to be enough time. So I'm going to use the time just to um, talk about what's happening uh, right now in the Middle East, what's happening in the region. Um, and I really want everybody to, to pay attention to, to what I'm going to say because uh, I, I've had a few people contact me from the church, uh, as, I, as normal, I understand. Yesterday I was getting messages and phone calls, and quite a few people were saying, what is our stance? What are we, where do we stand with this? Well, you know, if you look on social media... <laughs> In fact, don't look at social media because it's actually insane. No, seriously, I, wanna, I actually want to caution you as a pastor because last night um, as I was just praying and saying, Lord, I, I want to hear your voice. I want to carry your heart on this matter and I want to speak with clarity, biblical clarity and with truth. And um, I, I went into this deep dive and I listened to tons of different voices that I respect, people that I love, teachers that I listen to um, and, and went and just did as diverse a spread of, of opinions as I could hear, just to see generally where people were at. I am astounded at, at how crazy different the spectrum of opinions is right now. Um, it's just crazy. It's like something happened with COVID that brought in this, this weird thing, like we are meant to have a voice on every matter, and just because I heard something means I should have an opinion on it. And so now with COVID, we, we had all the conspiracy stuff. The, and some, don't get me wrong, some of it might, might have even been true. Um, but the reality is it brought such division. It brought camps within the church. It's brought an opinionated people that are not carrying power. And I'm, I'm really, I'm afraid in some ways. Because what I'm seeing coming out of the, the, the church globally, the voice that's coming out is an opinionated, arrogant one. And it's lacking power, and it's lacking demonstration, and it's lacking obedience. I told you, I needed you to hear me. I need to be clear on this. And then what happens is, we start to make very bold statements that if you don't stand in a certain camp, if you don't stand in a certain, or don't have a certain perspective, if you don't agree with a certain opinion, that you're deceived, that you need to get saved. That, I mean, I've heard in the last two days, I've heard things that shocked me that, that came out of leaders. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of really faithful, beautiful leaders who are communicating in a very healthy way. And I'm so grateful that there's always faithful shepherds, faithful leaders, fathers and mothers, sons and daughters across the world. But can I just say this? The Great Commission needs to be central to our perspective of what's going on in the Middle East right now. The danger is when we become political in our perspective, political in our opinion, and political in our view, we miss the heart of God for what's happening. 
And, and the problem is our perception and our perspective of God begins to shift and we start to act, talk, and behave in a manner, in a manner that's not representing His heart for the region well. Please hear me on this. The political spirit right now is grabbing a hold of the church with a good cause. It's a good cause. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Israel, Palestine, the conflict that's happening there. And can I just say this? I find it incredibly interesting that what's exploded in Israel right now has taken the world by storm. It is literally provoking um, uh, um, marches and, and protests and all this stuff against Israel and free Palestine, whatever. That you, you would have seen all of this. And it's funny because at the same time, there are earthquakes happening in Afghanistan. Thousands are dying. There's a war that's been happening in Armenia for months now, weeks, months, that nobody's talking about. Armenians are being genocide, uh, are being killed. There's a genocide in Armenia. There's so much going on. The Turks, the Turkish forces attacked the Kurds in northern Iraq two weeks ago. The whole region is unstable. The whole, the whole area, people are dying and there is brutality that's been in the region for a long time. It has escalated with the situation in Israel. It has escalated with Hamas and Hezbollah and what they've done. And yes, there is a political storyline here as, as well as a biblical and prophetic one. I, I'm all for it. You can look back and study. Yes, Iran is funding Hezbollah and Hamas. And so you can go back to the days of Esther and even before that, and you can see how Persia and Israel, there's always been this tension. Yes, yes to all of it. I understand the prophetic timeline. I understand the story. I understand history is repeating itself. Yes, 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 yes. However, it's not the point. And we've got to be very careful as the church. What we are deciding is the main thing in this story. People are asking me questions like, well, where do you stand? Because there's also an eschatological view where Israel is central to that. And so basically God is using Israel to initiate. I actually, I'm going to just say this because I think a lot of people would have listened to this teaching. One of my favorite Bible teachers in so many areas teaches something. I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm just saying we need to be careful. I heard that there was this teaching that said, the prayer movement is going to basically bring forward World War III that will happen in the Middle East. World War III will then trigger uh, a need for a one world order. And that will then set the stage for the Antichrist. Then we will see the reign of the Antichrist. And then we will see Jesus come. He'll rule for a thousand years on the earth. He beats the Antichrist. And then after that, he's going to make all things new. I'm not a fan of that. I'm just saying. Uh, this, today's not the day for me to teach where I stand eschatologically. Um, but I just want to say this. The problem with that thing, the problem with how we communicate that story, whether it's right or wrong, is what it's leaving in the church right now is fear. And, and what it's emphasizing is this. Attacks are coming. The devil is reacting. Because I agree, in May, 5 million people were mobilized to pray for Israel for 21 days in a fast. It's incredible. It's, look at what happened. Five million people prayed for Israel. Now you see what's happening. But what we've got to be careful of is now we start to say, well, we knew there was an attack that was coming. We knew that when you stand like this and five million, million people pray, the devil's going to react. And, so this, and now the church becomes afraid. We become devil conscious. We begin to look at all the things that are happening in the Middle East. And now the problem is we're using situation and circumstance to try to justify an eschatological viewpoint rather than being obedient to the Great Commission. You say, Connor, what are you talking about? Acts chapter 1, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus answers like this, it's not for you to know. 
But you're going to receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses from Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. Can you see God's answer to the church in our questions for the end is this, the Great Commission. And so he says, your perspective around crisis on the earth needs to be built on obeying the Great Commission. I want to see Israel, Palestine, uh, Lebanon, Jordan, Syria, Iraq, Turkey. I want to see them saved. And if you go, well, you know, but what about all the prophecies? Yes. Please, can I just say this? There are tons of prophecies about Israel, and I believe in them, and I'm studying them right now. And if the Lord gives me grace to do it, I will do a whole thorough teaching on the prophecies of Israel. Because God keeps His promise. And, and if, you, if you ask me what do I think about Israel, do I think Israel, I am, I am eternally grateful for the nation of Israel because God used that people to introduce the Messiah to the earth. God used Israel to teach us how to worship in the temple. God used Israel to teach us how to hear God, the nature of God, the faithfulness of God. But let me tell you, in Romans, Paul actually talks, and he says something really interesting. He says, um, he says, the true sons of Abraham are not sons by lineage. They're sons by promise. They're sons by promise. The true sons of Abraham are the sons of promise. Meaning this, and if you, I don't have the time to do all of it, but you need to go read Romans 9, 10, and 11. But he begins to unpack this, and I just want to show you one thing. Uh, Romans 10, verse 1. Uh, this is Paul, okay? Pharisee of Pharisees, a Jew, an Israelite. And, and he's addressing the question in, in, in his writings here of like, well, but what about Israel? Is Israel cast away? What about them? How do they fit into the whole thing? And I just love this. He, he starts to share and he makes it super clear that Israel, there's a remnant in Israel that will be saved because they choose the righteousness of Jesus. He begins to teach this. He says, Israel's not saved because they're Israel. Israel's saved because they'll have faith in the finished work of the cross. Hello, can we just make that clear? There isn't a, a special side door that, that the Jews get. Let's be clear. The gospel is the gospel. There's only one way to the Father. It's through Jesus. And so Paul says this, but then I love Paul's heart in, in chapter, Romans 10 verse 1. He says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for Israel is for their salvation. Hello. This is Paul. This is... This is the, Pharisee of Pharisees, right? And he's, 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 I mean, Romans is literally him preaching the gospel. He, he writes out everything that he believes and he communicates it so clear. And what he's addressing here is he's saying our, our prayer, the way we should approach Israel is this. God, we want to see them saved. Just like I want to see Palestinians saved. Just like I want to see the whole region saved. I long to see them saved. The Jewish people are, are classified now as one of the most unreached people groups. So our response is one of the Great Commission. Our response is one of obedience to pray. Pray, preach, and sing. And I want to love my brothers and sisters. I want to serve them. Even now, I'm praying. I'm like, God, show us what is the response. We recognize the moment we're in. What's the right response? What are you asking from us? But we, we've got to stand firm on the gospel, stand firm on a perspective that's centered on Jesus, because I promise you, I mean, even this morning in the sound check when we were just singing over the region and just preparing our hearts, I just began to feel this, this longing of like, 
Jesus, what do you feel about what's going on in the region? And I feel the brokenness and the compassion of his heart. Because make no mistake, what's happening with Hamas and Hezbollah and what they are doing, it's disgusting. It's terrorism. They are terrorists. They don't represent Palestine. It's a terrorist movement. It's the, it's the spirit of Islam at its worst. I've seen it. And so we, we've got to be clear about what we're talking about there. It wants to use the, the banner of free Palestine and all these things for its own agenda. And it's funny how every other demonic agenda is jumping on the free Palestine wicked right now because it's got the world's attention. Go look at the protests that are happening in Europe and, and suddenly like... LGBTQ, all these, they're all joining in one thing of this free Palestine. It, they're just looking for a voice. They're looking for a way to get the world's attention. And so that's the new thing. We as the church cannot get on board with the political spirit. We have to stay rooted and grounded in the gospel. And I am immovable off of one thing. Pray, preach, and sing. Make disciples of all nations until every tribe and tongue has heard the gospel. So when, when people say, what is your response to the crisis in, in the Middle East? It's this. I'm, I'm ready to book a plane ticket. I'm ready to train and send more people than we've ever trained and sent. Our response is going to be, I want to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the region. When everybody's fighting about Israel or Jews and Palestinians, I want to be the one hugging the Jew, hugging the Palestinian, saying, do you know about Jesus? Do you understand that he's the desire of the nations? He's the desire of your heart. You just don't know it. I'm not interested in a political fight. I'm not interested in proving an eschatological view. Either way, he's coming back. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. If you're right, you're right. That's great, but he's coming back. I want to have oil. I want to be ready. I want to know him. I want to hear his whisper in the midst of the storm. When there's crisis and chaos on the earth, I want to be a burning one. While the world is freaking out about which camp to be in, I'm going to be faithfully building what Jesus is building, his church. Are you with me? So when, when people ask us, well, what's our response to this thing? Where do we stand? We stand with Christ. We stand with Jesus. The, the moment that we begin to become political, we think that God is measuring people groups based on history. I have more compassion here because of this. I have more compassion. Does God have compassion for Israel? Yes. Does God have a, a, is his hand on the nation of Israel? Yes. Are there prophetic promises and prophetic uh, words that he will fulfill for the nation of Israel? Yes. We're seeing it happen now. Make no mistake, that's going to happen. God loves the nation of Israel. But to exalt the nation of Israel above where God exalts the nation of Israel is going to distract the church and take away from the Great Commission. It's beginning to distract the church from one thing. Because if we think that Israel, well, we don't really know what to do with Israel. All we know is that there are special people and God loves them. And so we just hope that God has a plan. No, Israel needs laborers. Israel needs sons and daughters carrying the gospel. Listen to, this is, this is in the context of Paul addressing Israel, Romans 10 from 14. But how will people call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher or messenger? And how will they preach unless they are commissioned and sent for that purpose? Just as it is written and forever remains written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. 
But they did not all pay attention to the good news of salvation. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing what is told, and what is heard comes by the preaching of the message concerning Christ. We've taught this just from that passage. Do you know this is in the context of Israel? He is responding. He's talking about, he's talking about God's response to Israel. The next chapter, Israel is not cast away. God has a plan for Israel. Guess what his plan is? Salvation. In fact, in, in chapter 9 and in chapter 10, it talks about this, that God's actually going to move in the Gentile world surrounding Israel to provoke Israel unto salvation. That they'll begin to see the very longing of their heart in their enemies. And can I just say something that's so profound right now? In, in Jordan, in the country of Jordan, there are Palestinian brothers and sisters that are burning for Jerusalem. They're burning for the salvation of Israel. They love their Jewish brothers. I'm serious. When you meet them and you have conversations with them, the way they talk about Israel is offensive and it's beautiful. Because they have every reason to, like their families, hate the Jews, yet they don't. And they say this, I serve a Jewish king. And Paul writes this, you know, if, if you really go study. If, if, if this was about, if our responsibility as the church was to, was to choose a political standpoint on Israel, why did Paul not teach on it? Why didn't he give us a full explanation of exactly how he wants us to stand with Israel? No, what he, what he gave us was preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. That's what he gave us. And in Ephesians, he's so clear. He says, the Jew and the Gentile become one man in Christ. So what's the response of the church to the crisis? One man in Christ. Are you guys with me? We need to weep with those who are weeping, mourn with those who are mourning. We need to feel the pain of what Israel and Palestine is going through right now. And what it does to me, I don't feel an anger towards Hamas or Hezbollah. I feel an anger towards the devil, towards the enemy, because these, these terrorist men and women, they are so deceived but we're a people who are about the redemption of destinies. Like my, what's, what's stirring in my heart is a groan. It's a groan to say, God, you did it with Paul. I think we know, if, we know if our heart is postured rightly when we have the same compassion for Hamas as we do for Palestinians and Jews. And that's rough, let me tell you. That, 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 that is supernatural. Because the atrocities and the things that are taking place make you sick. But I want to tell you a story of my friend. He's a Syrian refugee. He's got five kids, five sons, and his wife. They were Muslims in northern Syria. And ISIS kidnapped him because he wasn't the kind of Muslim that they wanted or liked or believed in. He wasn't even a Christian yet. He was still a Muslim, and ISIS did not agree with his standpoint on Islam. They kidnapped him. They tortured him. They stabbed him, shot him. The, how he survived was incredible. He, they broke his back, broke his spine, and after three days, dumped him on the side of the road. And his sons found him. They put him into a vehicle with the rest of the family, 
and tried to escape across to Turkey. And they actually went through a checkpoint, uh, an ISIS checkpoint, and ISIS opened fire on their car. The car was full of bullet holes. Not a single family member was touched. They managed to get into Turkey, and it was in Turkey that they had an encounter with Jesus. And uh, it started with a vision that my friend had. And then my other friend, who's also a Syrian refugee, happened to be on the streets preaching the gospel that day and was able to introduce this man to the person he had had a vision of. This is my friends. This is a real story. And then we had dinner with them, and I'll never forget the day that he told us the testimony because he said this. He said, I thank God for ISIS. And I said, what do you mean? And then he said this. He said, because if I wasn't kidnapped by ISIS, I'd never have met Jesus. He said, if I wasn't kidnapped by ISIS, I'd never have understood what forgiveness means. And he said this. He said, when Jesus taught me how to forgive ISIS, I realized how much he had really forgiven me. We've got to be careful because arrogance and pride and self-righteousness will creep in anywhere we give it an opportunity to. The moment we think we're any better than anyone else, we start to deviate from the purity of the gospel. The purity and potency of the gospel is this. It's Christ. It's only Christ. There is only one. I need him. Hamas needs him. Hezbollah needs him. The Jews need him. The Palestinians need him. We need him. We need him. I don't want to get caught up in a political narrative. I want to get caught up in the story of God. If I, if I have anything to say about the crisis and the storm in the Middle East, it's this. We need Him. I'd rather be slow to speak, quick to listen, be submitted to the leadership of Jesus, be constantly checking my heart, constantly checking my responses, constantly checking my emotions and going, God, am I feeling what you are feeling or is this me? Because it's easy to watch the video and have a certain perspective, depending on which video you watch, depending on which channel you're listening to. And so much of it is accurate, don't get me wrong. But there will always be a slant, there will always be a perspective, there will always be a way in which it's communicated. You aren't there. Like this was what I was feeling. Last night I'm listening to these things and I'm working through different opinions and I'm going, whoa, this is crazy. And then I turned everything off and I opened my Bible to Romans 9, 10, 11 and I went, thank you. There it is. It's right here. Brothers and sisters, this is my heart's desire and my prayer, the salvation of Israel. Just like Paul prays for the Gentiles, just like he prays. So I want to just, I want to stir us up as a church and as a house. If we're looking at what's happening in the region, if we're looking at what's happening in the Middle East and we're beginning to become afraid, can you see the ploys of the enemy?
And I'm, right now, I am praying for leaders in the church because I think right now, in this moment in history, our voice is, it needs to be submitted to Jesus. What we are saying publicly, what we are saying from the pulpit, what we're saying on videos, what we're saying to the global church, we're supposed to be messengers of heaven. We're supposed to be messengers of hope. I, I felt it in my spirit this last week because I know this, this has been going on for over a week now. And I, I know people were contacting saying, hey, you haven't said anything. What's going on? Your silence, like, you know, hey, silence speaks and whatever. I, I get it. But let me just tell you, if we react before we've listened to Jesus so we know how to respond, then we're just going to be another voice in the chaos. We're just going to be another voice in the noise. The church has an opportunity right now to respond and to not echo the noises of what's going on around us, but to be a voice of the purity and potency of the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is. And we're, we're called to be lowly, compassionate, humble. We're called to carry the heart of God, the tenderness of Jesus. Honestly, even like right now, I feel a burning fire to preach the gospel in the region, but it's very tender. Weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. I don't think Jesus is asking us to have a plan and a strategy to fix the crisis. I think he's asking us to be a people of his presence, to obey the Great Commission, and to make disciples of every tribe and tongue because he's coming back for his bride. And in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the crisis, in the midst of the brokenness, will be a bride adoring him. And she is being refined. She is being beautified in the storm. That's why we'll have it on the wall soon. But the Lord spoke those three sentences to our heart. A bride for his glory, a body for his name, a people of his presence. It's what he's doing. He will not move from the, the dream of heaven, the dream of God. We're going to see it happen. Don't get confused. Don't get pulled and drawn into things that, like David says, I'm not, I'm not getting caught up with things that are way over my head. I did a, a, a deep study last night. I was looking at stuff and I'm going, yes, there's so much here. You can take Old Testament prophecies. You can tie it up. It's there. Like I, I'd love to maybe one day teach it as a separate thing. I don't think it's something we have to teach on a Sunday, but if people were interested, I'd, I'll teach it. We can go into it and look at it. But the reality is this. It's not the main thing. Because look at what the New Testament is filled with Paul and the other writers being very clear on the mandate. It's the proclamation of the true gospel. It's the proclamation of the righteousness of Jesus that we receive by faith. It's the salvation of the nations. It's the preparation of a bride for his glory. I don't want to stand before Jesus and say, yes, I got it right. I knew it, God. I knew that's what was happening. I don't want to do it. Because can I just tell you, and I'll end with this, what I'm seeing right now when pastors, leaders, and the church become political, they stop making disciples.
They stop making disciples of Jesus. Why? Because our focus and our shift becomes about whether I'm right or wrong. And you have to maintain that, which means every time more information comes out, you've got to keep weighing it. You've got to keep measuring it. You've got to keep figuring out whether you're on the right track or the wrong track or is your response right, is your response wrong. And then you've got to go back and delete that Instagram video from three weeks ago because it turns out the facts were wrong and you actually, your opinion was, was biased. You didn't even know it was. But then you don't say sorry to the millions of people who heard you post it three weeks ago. And we get caught up in this thing, and I'm like, come on, it's not the church's place. Our place is to arise and shine in the midst of deep darkness. Though deep darkness covers the earth, the church is called to arise and shine. Why? The brilliance of the Lord, the radiance of the Lord is upon us. Well, what does it look like? It looks like Christ. When Jesus was walking on the earth, he was living in the midst of oppression. Jesus lived while the Jews were being oppressed. He walked the earth under Roman oppression of the Jewish people, and yet he didn't solve the oppression problem. He went after a salvation problem. You with me? I promise you if Jesus was on the earth today, as my heart gets stirred, I go, Lord, what would you be doing right now? I don't think it would be Instagram posts about I think he'd be looking to love. I think he'd be looking to introduce the kingdom. He'd be preaching the message of the gospel. He'd be welcoming sons and daughters home. Can I just say this? We need to have a different look in our eyes. It's full of compassion. It's full of mercy. But it's full of a bold fire of the gospel. And so we are going to pray. And can I just say, just because I don't call a weekly prayer meeting does not mean 24-7 church is not called to pray. Pray. Pray for Israel. Pray for the Palestinians. Pray for the whole region. Pray for Armenia. I mean, again, I have a friend who's there right now on the ground, and it's, nobody's talking about it. The same things that are happening right now in Israel have been happening in Armenia for weeks. The Kurds were attacked. Like the, We need Him. Amen. So Jesus is building His church and the gates of hell will not prevail. He said it. It's in red. He's doing it. It's going to happen. Jesus is going to fulfill the Great Commission. He said He would do it. And so I just want to make sure that if you're under the, the leadership of 24-7 in your life, if you even just if you respect and recognize my voice as a pastor and a shepherd, I take, I mean, last night I got really emotional. Because I said, this really matters what I say on this. What you hear me say this morning really matters. Because I'm, I will stand before Jesus one day and I'll be accountable for how I stewarded environments that your souls received in. And I wish, my, my prayers, I'm like, Jesus, keep me there. Keep me in the fear and reverence of the Lord. That I'd be very careful with opinions, very careful with the statements that we make. And so this morning, I'm like, Lord, I want 24-7 to be postured in a softness, in a tenderness, in a humility, but in a deep passion and a deep desire to see the Great Commission fulfilled. I want to see Israel saved. I want to see as many Jews come to know Jesus, as many Palestinians. And this morning, I sang it in the, the um, sound check. I heard the Lord say, from a people who have no home, the Palestinian people, from a people who have no home, will come a song, Worthy is the Lamb. Can we stand this morning?
See, when we, when we choose this posture in our hearts, to disagree with this is to disagree with humility. Because what we're saying is we don't know all the answers, but we do know the answer. And we're just going to stay in that, that place. Amen? Jesus, this morning I'm, I'm asking for, for your compassion. First and foremost, Holy Spirit, I'm asking for your compassion for this city. Because there are atrocities happening right in front of us all the time. In our neighborhoods, in our city. And we want to be moved, God, by the desperate need for Jesus in our city. And Holy Spirit, we want to receive compassion for our nation, South Africa. Knowing, God, that our nation needs you. And then Holy Spirit, we recognize the rage of the nations. We recognize an antichrist spirit across the, the world right now that is against you. But Jesus, when you hung on that cross and breathed your last breath, when you went down into hell and, and Hades and took the keys of death and hell, when you were raised to new life and resurrection life, and when we were born again in you, we have all authority in heaven and on earth. The victory is ours in Christ. You have already won, and you are calling your church to triumph in your victory. And so we learn from you, Jesus. You said, come, learn from me. I am gentle, lowly, and meek. And so we choose that, Lord Jesus. We choose your nature. We choose your response. We choose your leadership. Even as we just heard earlier, all we can do is yield and obey you and walk with you and run with you and serve you. And so we pray that the response of 24-7, the response of the church would be under the submission or under submission of the leadership of Jesus. That it would be your voice, your heart, your emotions, your thoughts, your ways. There's no one like you, Jesus. And you know, you're, you're weeping with mothers and children and fathers. You're in the chaos and in the storm and in the crisis. You're there. And still your justice is mercy. Still your justice is redemption. Still the justice of Jesus, Isaiah 42. It's hitting the earth and a new song will rise. A new song across the nations. Worthy is the Lamb. God, I'm praying that out of the storm that's hit the, the nations right now will come a collision between the bride and the bridegroom. A holy collision. The song of the bride, the song of the Lamb. Holy Spirit, this morning as a house, we're praying. Matthew 9, 38, 39. That you would igbalo laborers that you would send forth laborers into the harvest field, that God, in the midst of pain and crisis, would come many salvations, Lord. We saw it with the earthquake in Turkey, the dreams and visions that broke out, the encounters. Lord, I'm asking for the same thing in Israel right now, the same thing in Armenia, the same thing in Afghanistan. Lord, I ask in Afghanistan that this crisis would open the borders again, 
that this crisis would open up the borders so that people can come in, that the need for help would, would actually create an open door for the gospel in Afghanistan again. And so Jesus, as, the, as 24-7, we rejoice in our King. We rejoice in our Savior. We rejoice in the one who has all victory. We rejoice in you, Jesus, that we will not live by situation and circumstance, and we will not, our faith is not based on what we see. Our faith is based on you, what you've done. So we rejoice in you, and we thank you, Lord. Let the cry of heaven, the song of heaven, the message of heaven, the sound of heaven come from your church in this hour. Mercy and forgiveness and grace and redemption and transformation. God, let it hit the earth in power. Let it hit our hearts this morning, Lord. We pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. So lastly, Holy Spirit, make us a people of your presence. We want to carry oil. We want to be those given to you, given to your face, standing in the all-sufficiency of Jesus. Slow to speak, quick to listen. Slow to anger, abounding in compassion and loving kindness. We want to be like you, Jesus. We are your church, your house, your people. We want to say what you say, do what you do, speak what you speak. We want to carry your heart. Holy Spirit, I honor you. Thank you for today. Thank you for times of rich worship together, beholding you, loving you. Thank you for our students. Thank you for the, the joy of commissioning them and commissioning this house into a deeper level, a deeper response of obedience to the Great Commission. Thank you for what you're doing in Joburg. Thank you that this city will be a sending city. God, thank you for this house. I bless every person. I bless every family. Lord, thank you. It's so much more than a service. It's so much more than weekly gatherings. We are your church. And together, knitted together as one, as living stones together, you're building a dwelling place for you. So God, thank you that even as we go from this room, that we would be stirred, that we would be encouraged, that we would be built up in love and in the fire of the gospel to do all you've called us to do. We love you. We bless you. We celebrate you. Holy Spirit, and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Guys, I love you.